All right, so Easter is coming. Do you know when Easter Sunday is? Yeah, the 17th, that's in two weeks, right? So not next Sunday, but the next Sunday. So what's next Sunday? Did someone say Psalm Sunday? I love it. I love you. <laughs> palm Sunday. Why is it called Palm Sunday? Because they wave palm branches as Jesus came into the city of Jerusalem. Well, um, the Friday after Palm Sunday, the Friday before Easter Sunday is called Good Friday, right? It was good for us. It wasn't so good for Jesus, now was it? And that's the day Jesus died on the cross for our sins. It's also Passover. And we have been looking, for the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at the holy history so that we can understand Passover because Jesus is our Passover lamb. So obviously on uh, Easter Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, we're going to talk about the resurrection of Jesus. And I will point out uh, what Palm Sunday was in a little more detail next week, but we're going to talk about Passover next week. But we need to understand the events that led up to that. Why do the Jewish people observe Passover? Why is Jesus called our Passover lamb? And in the process of looking at uh, these incidents and events and characters in holy history, what I hope is that you will be able to make some application to your life and see that what Paul said in 1 Corinthians is true. These things happen to them as examples for us upon whom the end of the ages have, have come. So this isn't just a bunch of old history, dead history in the Old Testament. It is living word from God showing us that he wants to do some of the same things in our lives that he did in the lives of these people that we might call the patriarchs, uh, saints, and so forth. Um, so we talked about Joseph the first week and how uh, God favored Joseph and how that favor was undeserved, how God prepared Joseph so that he could be in position to literally save the world, uh, the, the, at least uh, that part of the world, what we call the Fertile Crescent, because for a seven-year period, the Fertile Crescent wasn't so fertile. Um, they had to uh, uh, understand what God had planned, and God put Joseph in position to interpret Pharaoh's dream because God spoke through Pharaoh's dream and told him there would be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And Joseph not only interpreted the dream because God was with him, but he gave advice. He said, so Pharaoh should appoint someone over the land of Egypt to take 20% of the surplus crops and store them so that during the seven years of famine, the world can be saved. Well, and that way the world was saved, at least that region of the world, and so were Joseph's brothers and his father and, uh, and the rest of his family. Because had that not happened, they might have starved to death in the land of Canaan. Well, the people that were uh, the sons of Jacob, the sons of Israel, his name was changed to Israel, that's why the nation is called Israel, they came to Egypt and they settled in a region called Goshen, and there it was a very fertile area, and they were able to, uh, to be shepherds, which is what they did for a living, essentially, and they were able to, uh, to be provided for during those years of famine. Well, after the seven years of famine, we don't know everything that went on. We know that Joseph died at the age of 110 and uh, that his bones were preserved. He said, take my bones back to Canaan. I don't want to be left here in Egypt. 
And as we're going to see next week when we look at the Exodus and Passover, they indeed did take Joseph's bones out probably some 400 years later. Um, But uh, Joseph believed the promises that were made to Abraham, and God had promised that Abraham would would have a, a, a very, very prolific family and that they would bless all of the other people on the earth and that they would have that land of Canaan. Well, you know, for the these many years, they were living in Egypt, so it didn't look like they were going to get that land. But uh, during this time, between the, the death of Joseph and the time we meet Moses, this family of 70 that came into Egypt grew to a nation of some 400 people, uh, 400 people, of thousands of people. This is 400 years later. I'm stuck on that, that number 400. Um, th- so this this family of 70 becomes a nation of thousands of people. And the attitude toward the Egyptians and from Pharaoh changed dramatically from being the, the, the favored uh, people that were given this beautiful land of Goshen and allowed to, uh, to uh, shepherd their flocks. They became slaves and it got worse and worse and worse. And they cried out under all of that, uh, that oppression that they were enduring. And during that time, God raised up a man by the name of Moses. Uh, his name, Moshe, means to draw out to, because he was drawn out of the water. At the time when Moses was born, Pharaoh had demanded that all of the male children in Egypt that were uh, Israelites should be killed. And uh, in fact, he tried to get the midwives, these women that came and helped to bring the, the baby forth, to take the the male babies and throw them in the Nile and kill them. Well, um, the scripture tells us that uh, Moses' mother saw that he was a beautiful child, and so she made a little ark, a little boat made out of reeds, and she covered it in pitch so it wouldn't sink, and she put her baby in. So technically, yes, she put her baby in the Nile, but she didn't let her baby drown, and she floated it down the Nile, and... Uh, there was wisdom here. So there was providence here, but there was wisdom here too. I believe that, that uh, Moses' mother and his sister, presumably this is Miriam, uh, knew that this is where Pharaoh's daughter often came to bathe. And so they pushed the ark, that little boat, down uh, in the Nile River. And uh, Pharaoh's daughter had a, a heart of compassion toward the little baby. She said, oh, it's one of the Hebrew children. And so the sister who was watching came up and said, shall I get someone to nurse him for you? And that's exactly what she did. She went and got uh, Moses's mother, and Moses's mother nursed him. And in fact, um, this daughter of Pharaoh offered, or didn't offer, she actually paid Moses's own mother to nurse him. And so uh, Moses was saved from being drowned. And then he was also given uh, an entree into the household of Pharaoh. And this is very important providentially because if Moses had not been given this uh, introduction to Pharaoh's family, then later, where we're going to be looking at this week and next week, he would never have been able to talk to Pharaoh about releasing the people of Israel from Egyptian bondage. So God is preparing all along. So the first week we talked about God's favor, his unmerited favor. And last week we talked about how God prepares those who he calls. This week I want to talk about that call. I want to talk about Moses' life-changing call. Because last week we saw that Moses did indeed grow, grow up in the household of Pharaoh. And he understood that he was a Hebrew. 
and he saw a Hebrew being beaten by an Egyptian slave master. And the scripture says uh, in uh, Exodus chapter 2 that he looked this way and he looked that, and then he killed the guy, and then he hit him in the sand. And then the next day, when he saw two Hebrews fighting with one another, you know, he, he had a heart for justice. He, he had a heart of compassion for his own people, and he wanted to save them, and he wanted to protect them, and he wanted to help them. He said, why are you doing this to, you know, to your brother? And they said, yeah, well, what are you going to do? Kill one of us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And Moses said, it has become known. And so he fled to Egypt. And he ended up in uh, this region that we call Sinai, the Sinai Peninsula, named after Mount Sinai. Uh, it is also called, uh, the mountain is also known as Horeb, H-O-R-E-B, the mountain of God. But Horeb and Sinai are the same mountain, we believe. Or, uh, as an interpreter that I read last week, Horeb may refer to the region where the mountain was. So the actual mountain is called Sinai, but the region was called Horeb which just means desert or desolate in Hebrew. Nonetheless, that's where Moses was. And we find when we, uh, when we look at um, the account of this from coming from Stephen in the New Testament, we find that Moses had been there for 40 years. So Moses was 40 years old when he killed the Egyptian and fled Egypt. And then he spent 40 more years in the Sinai Desert shepherding the flock of another man, a man who uh, in chapter 2 of Exodus is called Ruel, and then he is also known as Jethro, and we see that in chapter 3 of Exodus, same man. Uh, he married one of this man's daughters, and uh, he was there for a long time. So you can understand that Moses probably would have given up on being an Egyptian, uh, being a prince of Egypt, being in Pharaoh's court, having any sort of favor. He had pretty much settled in to just being a shepherd, an under-shepherd at that, uh, in someone else's family. I, I wonder, you know, this is a lot of history, but, you know, when you were younger, and some of you still are young, did you have high hopes and now you've gotten older and, you know, those hopes seem to be unrealized. Maybe some of you that are younger, you, you, you have had high hopes, but you look at all the drama going on in our world and in our country, and, and maybe that has caused you to think, man, I, I don't know what kind of a future I'm going to have. I just want to say this to you. God is calling you to his purpose. Amen? Amen. So if you're worried about your purpose right, and creating your own future, then I can't offer you a tremendous amount of hope that things may turn out for you, they may not turn out for you. I'm not going to give you false hope. I'm not going to prop you up and make you feel good today when you find out that, you know, in a few years, things are not going to turn out well. But I can promise you this, God created you for a reason. You're sitting in this room for a reason. You're watching this stream for a reason. God has a message for you. God has a call for you, just like he had for Moses. Now, I'm older now, and, you know, I've had the privilege of, of pastoring this church for over 20 years, and I really love you guys, and I, I, I love all of our kids that have come about in that time period. But, you know, things didn't turn out the way that I thought they were going to turn out. I mean, I figured I'm something special. I, you know, my church is going to have hundreds, maybe thousands of people coming to it, and my church has dozens of people coming to it. It's, it's awesome. Um, and you guys are those people. But it, 
is easy for us if we have certain ideas in our mind as to what we were thinking we were going to become, to become discouraged, to become disappointed, perhaps even to despair and just give up on hope altogether. But I've got news for you. At every juncture in your life, at every point in your life, at every season in your life, God has a call for you. Amen? He really does. And I'm not just propping you up with false hope. I'm trying to help you understand this from God's word. So let's look at Moses, who is now 80 years old. Now, you know, the Israelites were blessed with long life and a lot of vitality uh, on up into their life. Uh, uh, The the contemporaries of Moses, uh, Joshua and Caleb, were both the only two men of his age that went and entered into the promised land 40 years after this. And it says that both Caleb and Joshua, they're, they're very old at that point, and they were still strong, and they were still vital. And I can't even imagine that, but God can do whatever he wants to do. And that's what I pray he does for you as you grow older. I pray that you're able to be strong and continue to do what he has called and created you to do. All right, so um, we're going to look at a brief passage. Now, I read you know two full chapters last week. Um, we're going to look at a brief passage this week um, at least relatively speaking, in Exodus chapter 3, and then we're going to observe some application for ourselves. So I'm going to be reading once again from the New Living Translation because it's just really easy to read long passages from this translation. It'll make sense to you. So just hang in your spurs, hold on, and listen to what the Lord has to say to you today. This is Exodus 3, beginning with verse 1. One day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't the bush burning up? I must go see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush, Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face, because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because of their harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians and lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey, the land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I have seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I am sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. Verse 11, but Moses protested to God, who am I? to appear before Pharaoh. Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, well, what is his name? Then what should I say to them? What should I tell them? Verse 14, God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. 
God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. So meeting God is always life-changing. Amen? It's very interesting to me as I read Exodus uh, 1 through 4 now, more carefully than I have in recent years, that the people of Israel did not call on God. There's no indication that in all this complaining and crying, they're, they're crying out to God. Now, surely they knew of the God of their ancestor, Abraham, their ancestor, Isaac, their ancestor, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, that their nation is known as. But did they know that God? Did they pray to that God? Apparently not. It reminds us of many of us who, you know, have been raised in church. How many of you have been raised in church? Raise your hand. You've been raised in church. Do you know God? Or do you just know about him? Have you heard stories about God from teachers and preachers? Or do you know God? See, the reality is, I don't believe Moses knew God until this very moment. I don't believe the majority of the people of Israel had any idea of the the nature of God beyond that this was the God of their ancestors who had made this promise that they would receive a land in Canaan. But who knows? There was no law back then. We don't know what their culture was like. We just know that they were slaves in Egypt and that they were constantly being oppressed by the Egyptians, and that they were crying out about it. God said, I've overheard that. See, even if you're not praying, God knows. He sees your pain. He sees the difficulty you're going through. And I believe he wants to reach out to you. He wants to, to let you know that he loves you. He wants to tell you that he, he, he desires to have you as a part of his family. He desires to deliver you from whatever the bondage is that you're dealing with. But the question is, are you paying attention, right? Meeting God is always life-changing. So Moses had surely heard about God, the God of his ancestors, but I don't believe he'd ever met the Lord in person. Um, this is true of the rest of Israel, and it is sadly the case for most purported Christians today. The question is, is it true in your life? So that's number one if you're following your outline or if you are on, in the Bible app. Number two is pay attention to God's creation. It's the first Bible. Now, I won't get you to raise your hand, but I'll let you kind of answer this in your head and in your heart. Do you read the Bible regularly? Follow-up question. When you read the Bible do you believe that God is speaking to you? Or is it just stories, rules, and that sort of thing? God's first Bible is creation. Um, In fact, the Bible says of creation, this is Psalm 19, 1 and 2, the heavens declare the glory of God, the, the skies proclaim his praise. So if we look up at the stars, if we can even see the stars in the middle of our city that has so many lights, then we're impressed with the reality that there is something grander, there's something greater than us out there. But see, we've all watched so many movies. We've all been paying attention to so many of those who disbelieve in the existence of God for so long 
We have other ideas about the universe. We have other ideas about its origins. And so perhaps we're not permitting the Lord to speak to us as he would choose to speak to us, right? We all have these mobile devices now. And I'm wondering if Moses lived in our day, would he have even seen the burning bush? Or would he have been busy texting Zipporah? Right? And, you know, there's a bush burning over there. He smells it. You know, I burned some incense in here today, first time in forever, sorry. Uh, but I, I just thought it made the, the room smell a little bit better. But, you know, you smell something, you know, look over there, you know, okay, yeah, but I'm busy texting Zipporah. We're having a fight right now, okay? You know, or maybe, you know, Moses is going to be watching a YouTube video. Oh, this is really cool. Trick shots, awesome, right? But he's not paying attention to the creation. He's not paying attention to the world around. This is why in our day... There is uh, this discipline that is being taught, and this is not in a Christian context, but it's called mindfulness. Have you ever heard of this, mindfulness? It's because we're not paying attention to what's going on right now, right here around us. We're paying attention to a million other things. We're paying attention to, you know, these, these stories that are in our minds and, and these things that we're watching on our phones and all of this. Uh, you know, Moses had to be paying attention. And I'm wondering if you're paying attention because I believe God wants to speak to you I believe that he wants to speak to you today in this room or later if you're watching by this stream, but I believe that he wants to speak to you out there in his beautiful world. And I could tell you, I'm not going to do it today, but I could tell you uh, multiple stories, but one in particular, where I was actually reading the Joseph story out at a park and I had a very interesting um, interaction with a butterfly that day. And to this day, because of that interaction, every time I see a butterfly, it reminds me of the Lord and it reminds me of his favor because I was just paying attention that day. Are you paying attention? If you pay attention to God's creation, you'll find that God will speak to you in that creation, right? Number three, God is holy. When you meet him, you cannot maintain a posture of pride. You can't be stiff-necked in the presence of God. Every time somebody came into the presence of God, they bowed before him. They responded to that. And in this case, Moses, first of all, he paid attention. He looked at the bush, and then he said, hey, it's burning, but it's not being consumed. It's burning, but it's not burning up. I need to go over there and take a look at that and see what's going on. And then he heard the voice of God the voice of God that would call him to deliver the people of Israel from Egyptian bondage. But before God told him what he wanted, he said, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. God is holy. And there's a lot of different ways that we would express the reality that God is holy, that he is above us, that he's beyond us, that he's so much greater than us we cannot possibly imagine. And this idea of taking off the sandals was one way of, of showing a, a type of reverence. Bowing, getting down on your knees, even prostrate all the way to your face is another way. You're, uh, in fact, that's interesting. Both the Greek and the Hebrew words for worship are physical words. They mean to get on your face, to bow down, to lower yourself. When you see God, when you interact with God, when you speak with Almighty God, you're not going to do it with your chest out and your head up and shaking your bony fist in his face. You might do that, but don't think that God, that you are in the presence of God. Moses got in the presence of God, and he recognized that because God told him to take off his shoes, right? Number four, God reveals his nature to those he meets. Now, until Moses, we have no record that God had revealed his, his personal name to anyone. 
right? So there is a word for God in Hebrew. It's El or Elohim, and that just means God. It can be the real God, almighty God. It can refer to a false God. It's just like our English word God, G-O-D. It might refer to, you know, the God of Israel. It might refer to a Hindu God. It might, usually in English, because Historically, we have been a Christian people, by and large, or a Judeo-Christian people. We usually use a lowercase g when we're referring to any God other than Almighty God, the one true God, and we use an uppercase g when we are referring to Almighty God, the one true God, the only God. And that's the, that's the way we often make the distinction, but it's the same word. It's just a word, right? So they might call God, God. This is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's how we're recognizing him. But what's his name? He didn't tell anybody his name. He didn't have this close personal relationship with all of the Israelites. He had a close personal relationship with Abraham, somewhat with Isaac, somewhat with Jacob, somewhat with Joseph. But now God, almighty God, is going to have a closer relationship with Moses than anybody in the history of Israel up to this point, and maybe anybody until Jesus Christ, the Son of God, right? So he reveals his nature. Well, see, God's name tells us who God is. God's name tells us about his nature. So now I'm going to go into a little bit of of Hebrew here and help you understand this. Uh, I'm also going to talk about your English Bible. In the majority of English Bibles, when you encounter God's name, which I'll pronounce in just a moment, but when you encounter God's name in the majority of English Bibles uh, in the Old Testament, it will be spelled um, uniquely, okay? It will be the word Lord, but it will be spelled with an uppercase case L, and then it will be spelled with a, an uppercase but lower O-R-D, okay? So it's all capital letters, uppercase L, capital, and now lowercase but still capital O-R-D. So you may or may not have paid attention to that, but every time you see that in the Old Testament, what that's telling you is in Hebrew, we're we're seeing the name of God. Now, what is the name of God? In Hebrew, it is four letters, right? And what you need to understand about original Hebrew is there were no vowels. They just knew where to put the vowels when the consonants were stuck together, right? So my name is Daryl. The A is a vowel. Technically, the Y can be either a consonant or a vowel, but it functions as a vowel in my name. So if my name were written uh, back then, if there were a name like mine, then it would just be D-R-R-L. But they would just know you pronounce it Daryl, okay? So this uh, name for God is four Hebrew letters, yod He vav He, And we believe, because we're really not totally sure, but we believe that it should be pronounced Yahweh. Yahweh. Now, in the translation here, the New Living Translation, it went ahead and, and gave that, that, uh, that name, okay? And in English, they spelled it out, Y-A-H-W-E-H, Yahweh. yod He vav He. if you were to just transliterate the Hebrew letters, right? Yod is a Y, He is an H, Vav is like a W, and He is another H, Yahweh. And you say, yeah, but what about Jehovah? I thought God's name was Jehovah. Eh, 
That is incorrect. That is not God's name. What we find, I told you Hebrew does not have any vowels. But many, many hundreds of years later, when people no longer spoke Hebrew, there was a group of uh, scholars, and they were called the Masoretes, and they wanted to preserve ancient Hebrew. So the Old Testament was uh, preserved. It was copied and recopied and copied and recopied very, very carefully for, for hundreds, even thousands of years. Once we reached this period of the Masoretes, which was in what we would call the Middle Ages, they started putting what they call vowel points over the consonants. When they came to the name of God, it was so sacred to them that they did not want to pronounce it. Now, there's a commandment about that, isn't there? Right? It's the third commandment. Do you know what the third commandment is in the Ten Commandments? What is it? Do not use the name of the Lord your God in an empty way, in a vain way. So it got to the place among the Jewish people that they didn't want to make the mistake of using God's name in a vain way so they wouldn't pronounce his name at all. Anytime a Hebrew cantor or a rabbi was reading from the law, and when that rabbi or that cantor, which would be someone who chanted the scripture, when they came to yod Hey vav Hey, they wouldn't say Yahweh. They would say the Hebrew word for guess what? What do you think? Lord. The Hebrew word for Lord is Adonai. Say Adonai. Okay? Adonai. It means Lord. Right? This is someone that you, you are loyal to, someone that you put above yourself, and it is a title that is often applied to God. He is the Lord. Now, in your English Bible, if you just see that word Lord, and it's capital L and then lowercase o-r-d, not lowercase capital O-R-D, but just lowercase O-R-D, then that is probably, uh, most translations are translating the word Adonai. So here's what happens. The Masoretes who preserved the Hebrew scripture, each, each time they came to the Tetragrammaton, that's the huge word, English word that refers to the name of God. Each time they came to yod Hey vav Hey, they did not put the vowel points over it that would cause someone to pronounce it Yahweh. They took the vowel points from Adonai. A-O-I. A-O-I. And they stuck them over the letters for Yahweh. They didn't intend for it to be pronounced. They intended for someone to see that and say Adonai, not Yahweh. But English translators came along later and they just translated it. And so, because English is a Germanic language, and initially you didn't have that Y sound, they had a J that replaced the Yod, right? J, okay? So, if you had the J sound and you pronounced Yahweh, it would be Jahveh, Jahveh. In fact, they didn't really have the W sound either. It's the W is more of a V, Jahveh. But if you take the vowel points from Adonai and put them over Jahveh, what do you get? Yeah, Jehovah, Jehovah. Jehovah is not his name. Amen? If you didn't learn anything today from the, about the Bible, I want you to know that. Now, I'm not disrespecting older generations, and they, they hold that name in high regard and so forth, but God's name is not Jehovah, and it's not Jehovah. His name is Yahweh. Amen? Amen. 
Now, this is a word that is related to the Hebrew word that just simply means to be, all right, to exist. And we get the idea of what God is all about and what he's like just by looking at these two verses right here in Exodus 3, 14 and 15. God replied, Elohim replied to Moshe, I am who I am. That's not the name, but it's related. It's the same root word, okay? I am who I am, or it can be translated, I will be who I will be. Say to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you once again. It is related to this, this yod heh vav heh. It comes from the same root, okay? And then he says, God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh. And in your translation, it might say, Lord, capital L, lowercase, capital, capital L, lowercase, capital O, capital R, capital D. But that is this word right here, Yahweh. The God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. Now, God is saying, I am. I always have been. I always will be. Amen? God is saying he is self-existent. Here are a number of, uh, of things that this may represent. Uh, this comes from the NIV Biblical Theology Study Bible. God is a self-existent and independent being. He's not another man. Amen? Amen? He's not some hybrid of animal like uh, we have in the Egyptian gods, okay? He's completely unique, utterly otherly. That is what holy, holy means. Number two, God is the creator and the sustainer of everything. Number three, God is unchangeable and so is always reliable. God is not fickle. He's not random. He's not in and out and up and down. He's not like a dictator, okay? And number four, God is eternal in his existence. But something we need to see that Moses would have understood in this conversation, in verse 12, excuse me, in verse 11, Moses says, God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God says, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. If God is with you, you can do anything, friend. Do you realize this is the almighty God who spoke the universe into existence and you're scared of what? And you're scared to do what? Right? So that's the, the, the next thing that we need to understand is when you meet God, he's going to call you to something. And the first thing he's going to call you to is he's going to call you out of the world. Do you know that's what the word church means? Ecclesia, the called out. We are called out of the world to worship the one true God. When you put your faith in Jesus and you call Jesus Lord, and by the way, the reason we call Jesus Lord is we are identifying him with God. Amen? We recognize that he is the one and only son of the one true God. That's what we're doing when we say that. He calls you out of the world. He calls us out of the world, and then we gather together, and that's the church. Number six, when you meet God, he will call you into service. He's going to call you out of the world, and he's going to call you into service. Did you know that this Hebrew word for worship that is used here is identical to, means the same thing as serve. 
When you worship God, it's not just a one-shot, get on my knees, get on my face thing. It means that you serve him. He is permanently above you. You become his servant. Now, the beauty is he adopts you into his family and says, you're no longer just a servant to me. You're a son. You're no longer just a servant to me. You're a daughter. But we were created to serve, friends. This is why people get so messed up when they become celebrities or when they become extremely wealthy and everybody is serving them. You weren't meant to be served. You were meant to serve. Amen? Jesus even said the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is the perfect representative of you and I. We're here to serve. We're here to serve God. We're here to serve one another. So when you meet him, he's going to call you into service. Um, and then finally, i got to rush to the end here. Um, the last uh, point has two subpoints. You can do anything God calls you to. Say, I can do anything that God calls me to. So what does Philippians 4.13 say? Good, you know it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, Paul didn't just mean I can do hard things. He meant I can do anything. He was saying, I know how to be rich and I know how to be poor. I know how to have a hard time and I know how to have a good time. See, some people just leave God behind when they're having a good time. Some of them get so mad and so hurt that they leave God behind when they're having a hard time. But I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength means that you can do anything and everything when you realize that God is with you the whole time. And that was the point behind God revealing his name in this way to Moses. God is going to be with him. So um, letter A, God equips those whom he calls. And that's what we saw last week. God is going to prepare you. He's going to give you the gifts you need. Now, I don't have time to go into it this week, but Moses didn't feel like he was qualified. Moses didn't feel like he was capable. Moses said, I can't speak. In fact, he even made God mad. You can read chapter four and get into that yourself. But see, God equips those whom he calls. That means you, friend. If you're paying attention, God is calling you out of the world. If you're paying attention, God is calling you to serve him in some way. If you're paying attention, God is, has already given you what you need to serve him. And finally, and most importantly, I think for this passage and for God's name, you will never be without God's presence and help. Amen? Amen. You'll never be without him. Right before Jesus' feet left the planet, okay, Jesus died for our sins on Good Friday, on Passover. He was our Passover lamb. And he was buried. He was put in a tomb. And there he, his body was, um, for part of Friday and all of Saturday and part of Sunday. We call that three days, right? Not three 24-hour periods, but three days. He rose on the third day, on that Sunday morning. Forty days later, he showed himself to his disciples for 40 days. Hey, look, here I am. I'm really, I'm really real. I really rose. Forty days later, he ascended. Right before he ascended, he said to his disciples, Go, therefore, into all the world and make disciples of all people, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything that I have taught you. And look, I am with you always. I am with you how long? Even to the end of the world. God is with you. In fact, that's another name that Jesus is known by in the Old Testament, Emmanuel. God is with us. Do you know what Jesus' name means? Yahshua. Yah, that's Yahweh. Okay, sometimes it's abbreviated Yah. Yahshua. Yahweh.
saves. Amen? That's who Jesus is. Have you let him save you? Have you called upon his name? Have you invited him to take control of your life? Have you responded to the call that God has for you? I hope that you'll do that today. Don't waste another day. Don't waste another moment. You don't know how long you have. You may be young. You may be old. You may need to come back after walking away for a time. But God is with us, and he wants to be with you. He wants to be ever-present in your life, and he wants you to recognize that. That's going to give you purpose, friend. If you're bored, you know what I used to, I was a youth minister for many years, and I was around teenagers a lot, and I would hear this often. I'm bored. I'm bored. Yeah, y'all probably would have hated me as your youth minister. I was a really good youth minister, though. But you know what I would say to teenagers who would say, I'm bored? If you're bored, it's your fault. If you do the will of God, it's not boring. Sometimes it's scary. Sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's tiring. Sometimes it's exciting. But it's not boring. Nope, it's not boring. I promise you. All right? So we're going to do one more song today. And if the Lord is leading you to make a decision, to make a commitment, that I would invite you to make that commitment to him. If you need to pray with one of us about it, Pastor Craig and I will be over here. Miss Mary will be over here. And we'll be happy to pray with you. Those of you that are on the stream, God bless you. Thank you for joining us today.